Welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show, and today we have got uh, one of our master trainers from the team, Mr. Johnny Irons, who has been sunning himself in Sunny Bay the last two months, so thank you very much for jumping on. Hola, buenas tardes. Hello, everybody. So he's even showing off his language skills. Um, <laughs> it's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, don't ask him anything else. No, no habla espanol. Um, okay. Yeah, see so you. See, before we show off any more horrendous Spanish. So today what we're going to talk about is uh, optimal practice in the gym so you can get the maximum return investment in your time. So we're going to fill this episode full of like takeaway things you can actually do and implement to help you get more results. So that being started, me and Johnny have already had a brief chat about some of the major things in terms of do's or don'ts. Uh, where do you want to get started with this? I think the best place to start is when you first walk into the gym. So what is the first thing that you're going to do when you arrive? Hopefully you have arrived hydrated and well-fed, maybe quite strongly caffeinated. And then after that, I would advise that you head for your first exercise of the day and perform warm-up sets of that said exercise as opposed to foam rolling or other such passive modalities. This is just my opinion, but I strongly believe that the best warm-up for an exercise is the exercise itself. I agree. And like actual fluid movement is the key. And I don't like passive stretching for anything particularly before training because it's actually proven to weaken muscle fibers, which obviously mm -hmm. if you think about a great example, things like let's talk about the pecs, for example, because uh, we see a lot of pec injuries. Shout out Ryan Crowley. Mm -hmm. uh, so say, for example, you're not going to do like a weighted chest stretch, like open up your chest horrendously and then try and lift a really heavy weight because that's just a recipe for disaster. Same as like, overly stretching your hamstring and groin and then trying to do like an ass to grass squat like you're asking for problems because you're probably going to start to open up into ranges of motion where you don't have like safety and control and there's probably a reason why your body's stopping you going into that range of motion so like doing things like um pnf stretches i think to try and like almost manipulate that recipe for disaster i think a lot of the time yeah i would actually i would go so far as to say that the opposite is probably most beneficial. So whenever I start with an exercise, I'm actually trying to contract that muscle. So if we're talking pecs, I'm spending my warm-up time trying to get my pecs contracted, then lengthened, contracted, then lengthened, pushing as much blood as I can in that area. That's going to provide cushioning uh, and also blood flow to the joints as well. So you're not only protecting the musculature, but also the, the joints that you're using at the same time. And there's also there's another thing you're adding in there. You're also like activating the stabilizing muscles. You're going, oh, I hate that. It's a bit of a, like a fanny word, activate. But like you're getting like warmed up and ready, almost like into the groove of the exercise you're about to do. Yeah. Like going cold to that. So then you're, yeah, definitely. you're prepared for it. I very rarely advise any specific activation exercises for, for anything. There maybe are the odd anomaly whereby somebody is genuinely lacking sensation in a certain muscle or it doesn't fire appropriately but generally speaking i think in order to activate the muscle just work it through its fullest range of motion with lower poundage smaller weight and that is activation in itself just using it you know all all muscles will work you just have to get them working 100 i think something you alluded to was interesting there as well so when if we almost take this step by step as if you're going through a training session so um, you've now obviously warmed up, you've done a few work warm-up sets. So something we were talking about earlier was in regards to the difference between an actual working set and a warm-up set. So to break it down, like if I was going to go in and do, for example, bench press, because everyone loves bench press, say for example, my working set was going to be 100 kilos, I would go in and probably do the bar just 
couple of reps. I'd probably put on a 20 kilo plate, do maybe six reps on that. I'd maybe then go up another, another 20 kilos, put another 10 on each side and then do maybe two, three reps. And then I would start my working set from there. And the one thing I'd say is that the stronger you get, the more working sets you have to do. I think deadlift is a great example on that. So I tend to do like five plates aside for like working sets. So I'm going to go up a plate every set. So I'll effectively do four working, four warm up sets to get to the working weight without having to do such a big jump every time. Yeah. And then I think, so the stronger someone gets, I think you actually then have to be slightly more conservative with the amount of repetitions that you perform in each of those warm up sets. Because if someone strong like you is doing a five plate deadlift, five plates per side, you're doing more warm up sets than somebody else. So you have to be cognizant not to wear yourself out before you get to your, your real work, your working sets. Yeah. I actually work on some rough, rough percentages. So I think this might help the listeners. I tend to start with something that's about 50% of what I know will be my working set weight. So if I'm going to press hypothetically the 40 kilo dumbbells for my first working set of dumbbell chest press, then I'm looking at 20 kilo dumbbells for my very first set of the day. So approximately 50%, then maybe around 75%, then something around 90% for a few reps. Don't wear yourself out here because obviously the higher the percentage, the greater the difficulty. And then you'd be into your first working set with the 40s in this arbitrary example. Where do you think most people go wrong in terms of not understanding the concept of a working set? I think it's just that, that lack of intensity. You know, I think it's important to remember that muscle building isn't easy. It's not supposed to be easy. So anything that's designed to cause a response is probably going to have to be between one and three, one and two rep shy of failure, positive failure. So if you're not in that sort of naught to two, maybe three rep range away from failure, it's a warm up set. It's not going to cause really much of an adaptation. And I think that's where people don't spend enough time in that difficult out, you know, out of the comfort zone. Yeah. There's the grinder reps. Um, yeah. Or close one, to. Okay. Yeah. The one thing I'd say for that as well, that's always a very good way to think about it is thinking about the terms of rep speed. So your first rep and your last rep shouldn't be the same tempo because as you're starting to struggle, you'll naturally slow down. And yeah. if you're doing like two seconds up, two seconds down the first rep, and then your 10th rep is exactly the same, and you just stop because you wanted to do 10, you probably had like another three or four. Yeah. And it's a warm up. It doesn't count. It won't build much muscle. No. And, and if, and like one thing I'd say as well is if you undershoot the weight that you're trying to lift, or you say, for example, you're trying to do 10 reps, and you've picked a weight that's slightly too light, just keep keep going. Like, do as many as you can. And then next time, just increase the weight. Yeah, take that one close to failure. Or if you realize at rep six, crikey, this feels really light, rack it and call it a warm-up. Take your time and then add a little bit more weight. And then your next set would be your first working set. Sometimes you've got to make those judgment calls in the middle of a set. But if it maybe if you're a bit less experienced, yeah, take that one all the way and then make a note. And maybe that's something people make mistake of not noting their poundages. The only way you can know what your working sets will be is if you write something down and make it up somehow in your phone or whatever. Keep a log. 100%. It then also makes it so much easier when you're going into the gym because like, it's almost like automated. You know exactly what you're supposed to do, where the bar's set. Like This is what I did last time. This is what I need to do this time. Yeah. And then it's also a big 
psychological win when you've done something you've never done before. That's something I like massively love. Yeah, if if you if you're not using some sort of tracking system, I'm very old fashioned. I write things down with a piece Same. of paper and a pen. Yeah, you're just guessing. So and, and that allows you that tallies in with with the warming up because you know, okay, well, if my first working set is going to be with the forties today, then you know where to start with your warm ups. Okay, twenties, thirties, thirty fives, first working set with the forties. So it, it structures everything if you know where you'll be with your working sets. Hundred percent and. Then what I would say after after you've done the first working set, set two, three, whatever you have programmed, what you should find, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, is your strength should start to drop. So if you've done your first set correctly, so for, again, ease of math, say we did bench press at 100 kilos first set, we did 10 reps. If you're then going to set, set number two and you can try and do 100 again, you shouldn't be able to get 10 reps again. Would you yeah. agree with that? I agree 100%. Yeah. Yep. So what I would do in that situation, if I was trying to hit the same sort of rep range, I, I know you said about percentages, I tend to drop the load by about 10%. And then I, and if you're trying to shoot the same sort of rep range, or if you're trying to go a little bit higher, which is what I tend to program for a lot of people. So be one set of like eight to 12, one, maybe like 15. The next one, I'd probably drop like 15 to 20% maybe. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. And then you might even then drop the weight further for set number three in order to stay in your desired rep range for that exercise. So if you if you can kind of think, okay, I got seven reps there, start to get pretty heavy. Ideally, I'd like eight to ten. So I will remove some weight and do my third and final set with slightly less weight. And then your job over the next few sessions is to then not have to drop that weight for the third set and then creep the reps up. Now, the one thing I would say is if you're listening to this and you currently go to the gym and you do like a dumbbell bench press and you do 30 kilos for four sets of 10 using the same weight and you get the same amount of reps, respectfully, that's bullshit because the first three, you weren't really even pushing yourself because you, yeah. there's no way the performance should drop. No, if you can go 10, 10, 10 with the same weight, you haven't got close really to the to the nitty gritty, the stuff that's going to really challenge you and change you. 100%. And that's why one of the things that I find interesting, I know you do, is people are like, oh, how so-and-so got results so much faster than I have, even though we'd like the same amount of time. Well, the chances are that those extra two, three reps they've done every set, they're the ones that make the difference in why they're improving much faster than you are. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's genetics coming to play, but that's probably a bit one of the big factors as well. Yeah. The other thing I think was interesting to talk about is rest periods and also the effect that that can have in terms of strength and reps so i notice this a lot and this is a very common question that i get asked so personally i notice a big difference if i don't know why but um i think it's gonna have a poor blood supply but i find hamstrings get very heavily affected by this so if i do like a lying hamstring curl and i only take a minute's rest the second set will then bomb whereas if i take two three minutes rest i'll get another three four reps with the same weight yeah, I would say I'm very similar. I, I think I spend a lot of time trying to slow people down between sets. I think a lot of people are, are geared in the mindset of like, I must work harder, I must work faster, faster is better. But actually, when it comes to muscle building, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot by working too quickly. Obviously, I understand that some people are working under time restraints, in which case I would just try and reduce the number of working sets, but make sure that the quality is optimized of those sets. So rather than trying to cram more work into a shorter space of time, just doing a bit less, but making it top, top quality. And definitely certain muscles will drop off 
quicker than others. So I'm very similar to you. My hamstrings have, have zero endurance. You know, one hard set, and if that's kind of me cooked on an isolation move. It's interesting that there is my so I think it's down to the way the muscle fibers, the hamstrings are because they're very spindly and long and lengthy. Whereas like my quads recover quite quickly, even though I'm very quad dominant. Yeah, nothing on me is long and spindly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a big thing. And actually, in terms, that's something I struggle with is slow myself down because I'm quite impatient. So I, I physically have to put a stopwatch on my phone if I train on my own and put it on the floor to like just try and like pause a bit. Yeah, and to slow you down. To normal, you know, most people will use a stopwatch and say, okay, that's a minute, right, I must go again. But actually, in your case, in my case, and most of the people I think that we help, especially on the bigger, heavier compound movements, they're the ones, take your time, bench press, deadlift, squat, etc. Take your time, two, three, four, sometimes even five minutes. And then, yeah, potentially your, your smaller isolation movements, you're going to utilize shorter rest periods, a bit more volumization. But yeah, do, do take your time. Don't rush. It's not a race. Yeah, I would say arms, delts, calves, you don't need a huge amount of rest period for the small muscle groups. Dead, like the, the big thing you said there was interesting, the big compound lifts, I will try and, again, take a really, like not really long rest, but again, three to five minutes. So what I currently do, incline bench press, deadlift, squat pendulum squat those sort of things because yeah. otherwise again you're just your recovery capability between sets then becomes the limiting factor that's then going to slow your progress yeah oh you're definitely selling yourself short if you if you hurry those if you rush those between sets i agree and talking about rushing let's talk about rushing reps because that's something actually yeah. this is very good have you ever seen anyone do reps too slow Sarchev, maybe but <laughs> so actually i remember i trained with him a couple of times and he we did some weird stuff sets where it was like descending time. So for example, like each rep will be, so for example, I remember doing it on, I couldn't even do this cause I was so destroyed by this point. Like one of them, for example, was doing like a chin up. So you do like a chin, you'd like lift yourself up and do 10 seconds of the way down. Next rep, do nine seconds of the way down. Next rep, do eight seconds of the way down. I'm done at that point. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was yeah, like, I think, yeah, I was literally like, <laughs> yeah. so this, this guy was like basically lifting me at that point. Yeah. But yeah. Time under tension is something that can hugely be varied and i can say without with the ultimate confidence that anyone listening to this right now you sitting there that if you go to the gym today tomorrow next week if you slow your reps down on the concentric and the eccentric and have a definitive start and finish of every part of the rep you will get way more results way more muscle soreness and see way more fullness in your muscles yeah agree and to take it a step further something i program a lot for clients especially those anyone who maybe brag about certain poundages that they're using for certain exercises then i'll implement a pause so a pause at the bottom of a squat a pause at the bottom of a leg press a pause at the bottom of a dumbbell chest press eliminate momentum you know remove that inertia and let, let's let's make the muscle contract to move the weight which is ultimately the the main objective and when you do that you know yes the poundage that you're using will be decreased, but your return on investment will increase. And who doesn't want that? Well, it's like, what's the goal? Is the goal to move as much weight as possible and use momentum, inertia, and your joints and connective tissue? Or is it to build muscle and look awesome? Yeah, exactly. I know what I'd rather. Yeah, like, no one cares how much you can bench. They all care no. about what it looks like you can bench. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I'd say that that's very, very important. That alongside, actually, just, just talking about bench press, like a couple of things gym etiquette that really piss me off 
Number one, one. Don't, don't, don't use like mixed stupid plates. So if you're going to use, don't use like plates in the wrong order or like put five, four or five kilo plates instead of a 20 kilo plate on the bar. Just use Absolutely. the appropriate plates. That really irritates me. Yeah, that's what the, that's the CrossFitters trick. Oh, yeah, oh, with the big fat ones. I meant this. Yeah, the big bumpers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It does look I think he gets CrossFit. Yeah, Dan might be listening to this. So that's one big thing. The other thing I would say is always use clips on the bar because the amount of times I've seen people, particular bench press and squat, where they don't they have too much of an ego. I don't even know if it's an ego or just stupidity. Just like not putting clips on the bar. Just why wouldn't you? Mm, guilty. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I never use clips. <laughs> I, I just I've seen that go wrong Leg so easy. many times. So many times. But then I've also seen them on a leg press and a Smith machine. And I can't yeah, quite work out what. No. Yeah, that, that, that's don't do that either. <laughs> yeah. Critical thinking sometimes learn to think for yourselves, I think is yeah, an yeah. important important thing here. Next thing I think is important to talk about is range of motion. Where do you think most people go wrong with this? I, I'm gonna give a great I, you go and I'm gonna give a great example. Okay, well, I think we are on the same wavelength that 98% of the time, if not more, you should be working through as full a range of motion as you can safely go for any given exercise. Obviously, everybody has different uh, range of motion capabilities, and I'm not asking anybody to exceed their own safe range of motion, but yeah, full range of motion equals full muscle recruitment equals full results strong joints as well and strong healthy joints yes uh, because the exercise that i immediately come to and it was so, i was training with a quote-unquote fitness influencer in marbella where johnny is once i think it was last year and he was doing hack squats going half the way down because it trains his quads more name and, and shame or not i i i, I, <laughs> I, I i'm not that sort of guy i throw people under the bus yeah. um but and you know and you're like you clearly don't understand how this works. Now, like, if you think logically, you, the, the, the point of any leg exercise, if you're trying to train your quads, is knee flexion. So we're trying to basically get as much flexion in our knees as we can so we can get our quads fully lengthened and then fully shortened. Now, if you're only going half the way down, then you're only getting half of, half of that movement. Logically makes no sense. And then you also wonder why these people have bad knee issues, is that you're actually trying to stop the load at the point you've got the most shearing force going through your knee. So you're also going to destroy your knee joint whilst getting minimal gains. Have you seen that a lot? Yeah, I think we've all seen it. The, the thing that I just don't understand the logic there because you're just selling yourself short. Like It's pointless. You can use, some people can use more weight doing it, but then it's pointless. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I'm just someone I'd rather optimize my time doing anything and if i don't know how to do something I'd, I, I would either ask or get someone else to do it for me if you're not sure about what's full range of motion for an exercise there's plenty of good stuff on youtube which is free or, um, or if, you're, if you're a client of ours post in the facebook group and i'll make a video for you or ask your coach and we'll send you a video because it's it's we have a video on everything yeah it, it's something i do uh, or I know you do too, with, with clients, I'm always encouraging anyone that we work with to record themselves, send it to us. We'll, you know, I say to everybody, I'll, I'll happily check any video, every video. Because I like training. Yeah. But that's, you know, it's the only way to critique yourself or have someone else critique you and help you. So I actively encourage anybody, even if you're not working with a coach, record yourself, take a look, you know, self-analyze and, and assess. 
and that's what that's where the value comes down in terms of what we myself johnny and the rest of the team do is that like a lot of people think about working harder but i'm gonna break the paradigm here in terms of what if you worked the same amount of intensity and hours in the gym so you didn't actually work any harder but you actually were doing the right things and you got 50 percent more for what you were doing without actually trying because yeah. in reality, that's what happens when you do the right thing it's like if you're like traveling on a journey and you're like 10 degrees out at the start after like 20 miles or miles of course from where you could be and that's reality what happens to most people yeah so so our job is to streamline to optimize and yeah like you say a lot of that is is having people work a little bit smarter so maybe it's using a bit less weight through a fuller range of motion taking your time between your working sets maybe not doing so much hit cardio i know i'm going a bit off piece now but you know i spend a lot of time particularly with females now i'm really going off piece removing or reducing the amount of high intensity cardio and introducing more lower intensity work this major maybe a bit less demanding uh, so yeah it's, it's about working smarter not necessarily just harder in, in every facet do you, do you want to explain what, why that is for the listeners actually of interest that that probably be very valuable for them i do it often in terms of fatigue management so high intensity cardio on top of hopefully high ish intensity workouts on top of often calorie deficit scenarios, you know, particularly in the fat loss phase, it's all Cumulative. very fatiguing. Yeah. So you can only go so hard at so many things at any one time. So often something has to get reduced in order to just maintain energy levels and maintain sustainability. So in my instance, I don't do any specific cardiovascular activity. I just do brisk walking, step counting, as a form of fatigue management and that allows me to put more intensity into my weight training which i consider to be more important for body composition i would agree completely and i think that's an example where particularly when people are new to working out and training or they want to get transformation really quickly they want to throw the kitchen sink at it from day one and it's like reality is that that's literally the worst thing you could do yeah and i think we've seen that a lot perhaps over the last sort of 18 months two years with especially with lockdowns and things and people being more sedentary, people trying to get into exercise and they'll perhaps come to us for some assistance and we'll find out that they're doing burpees, jump squats, you know, some real high intensity stuff, but they haven't really spent time laying the foundation. So often with those, those type of clients, I'll be saying, okay, well, let's how, how about we reduce some of that? Let's get you to 7,000 steps a day and let's just get you moving and walking and, and let's look after your joints, which is a lot more sustainable than, short hard intense high impact stuff yeah and i think that's where people tend to burn themselves out and then also you have to remember that like when the body becomes stressed and overworked it often it's when it actually tries to your body will release cortisol which is a fat storage hormone which is not going to help obviously in your goal to lose body fat so that's something we want to try and obviously mitigate yeah it will fight against you if anything so i often say you know a happy body is a body that will do what you want it to do so if you're in a fat loss phase and you look after your body all right yeah of course you've got the basics like sleep hydration adequate calories but then if you're you know if you're maintaining not too high levels of fatigue your body is more likely to do what it wants what you want it to do i.e burn fat you know if you stress it it's probably going to fight back and I also think there's a lot to be said about this, about doing what you enjoy. So for example, if you fucking hate doing cardio in the gym, then doing what Johnny does and going for a walk down the beach for an hour a day, multitasking and tanning at the same time and getting vitamin D, is, is, is probably a, a better a better option. 
because yeah. inherently the same with training like an exercise selection like inherently the type of exercises and training you like you're probably going to try harder at, i think it's very important to remember yeah whenever we set up new clients i often say i will send you this list of exercises that you will start with if you really don't like any of these please let me know if you really love any of these please let me know because the exercise plan that you'll stick to is the one that you enjoy the most so if someone absolutely hates barbell rows my favorite then we won't do barbell rows because it you know your 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 sessions have to be sustainable and you have to want to progress them so if you absolutely hate an exercise if you hate running if you hate training legs if someone hates training legs okay cool like don't train legs in my opinion because then you're going to stick to the things that you do like interesting topic is there any exercises you personally don't like what and then what are your top three first thing that springs to my mind i couldn't tell you the last time i did a dumbbell fly for chest i, I agree that is a woeful exercise the reason behind it for me is that just i don't feel like there's sufficient tension in the pecs past a certain point of the range of motion where i feel like i can actually optimize that missing bit of the range of motion by using a cable or a machine generally a cable yeah it's probably been a decade since i did a dumbbell fly i also think it puts your shoulders and pecs in a very vulnerable position because it works mm-hmm. completely opposite the strength curve it's heaviest when you're actually at your weakest point yeah i, I think it's one of the the examples where it can be the, the same movement so a fly motion can be mimicked and improved upon by using cables you know i i'm a believer in basic often free weight movements but there are definitely uh, examples where a machine or cable is a better option i'll give you another one i think is similar a tricep kickback yeah that is in the top three definitely so yeah. with a cable i think it works okay yeah uh, agree with, with a, a dumbbell it's the same thing where it's it just doesn't really line up no i agree yeah i haven't done one of those for a decade either good right and it's probably a reason so it's a reason exactly yeah. And I think what's actually important to note on that is like one of the best things you can do is you don't need a fucking million different exercises. You just need maybe 20 that you get superbly good at master and they can just focus on getting like repetition frequency over and over and over again and just improve. Like you, like you love a barbell row. I also know you like a split squat, a leg press, <laughs> a, a dumbbell press, chest press. I'm going to try and guess anything else here. I'm not really sure what else you can. Uh, yeah, I, as I've got older, I've definitely found my weaponry, my toolbox of exercises gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And one day I think all I'll do is split squats and walk. <laughs> uh, be a very happy man. Yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. But that's also important to, to learn and also for people to learn because you're, everyone's mechanics are different and you have different strengths and weaknesses like myself and Johnny got different structures, different physiques. So certain things that could probably make me favor me more than maybe might favor him. So be aware of that. Yeah, and it's a lot of it comes down to trial and error for the individual and perhaps having a coach to say, okay, so maybe if I program a certain exercise for an individual and then when I see the video back, I actually start to think, actually, maybe you maybe you know this this exercise doesn't suit this individual and it doesn't matter how many times we practice this movement, just their femur lengths, for example, in a squat, make uh, a barbell squat not a very good option for that person. So you can, you can try and manipulate that exercise, but there are ca- cases where you have to just admit this exercise doesn't suit me, which is maybe a bit like a dumbbell fly with me. Like, all I just feel is front delt, you know, shoulder and it clicking. I don't get any real stimulus benefit from that. So 
yeah, and and you each individual must find out which exercises work for them and which they like and which they don't like and which suit their structure, or get a coach to to help you do that and streamline it. Yeah. One thing to talk about, I think, is important is a training split and then overall the importance of that and maybe actually the lack of importance of that because I think sometimes people overthink this and one thing I think is very important for anyone listening to take home is that the body doesn't work in a calendar seven days. I think that everyone is very married to this Monday to Sunday sort of routine. Like your body has no idea what day of the week it is or how many days it is. Most training splits, I think, are best in some sort of fashion of two days on one day off. So you're training two days in a row and then you have a rest day and then you train again. Anyone who you can train six days in a row, you're training like a pansy to be honest with you or you're superhuman. So congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Could, could, could be the case. And to take that a step further, I think one thing, and maybe my stance on this has evolved over the last say five or 10 years, but I think the days of training single body parts per session are, are long gone. I think for the majority of people, you'd be far better placed exercising more muscles in each session at lower volumes, so lower numbers of sets per body part, but therefore increasing the frequency that those muscles are trained. And I know you what, what, I think a thousand percent. And if you think about that from a logical point of view, if let's think about logic, let's say we're going to do a full body workout if you, you could then hypothetically train every muscle group three times a week, if you train three times a week, you do three full body workouts, you could get awesome results from that. Versus if you were um, going to do a, a body part split and do one body part a day, you train one body part a week. That means in a year, you'd have three times as many opportunities. You'd have a hundred and well, I mean, this is really bad math. Don't ask me on the math. Yeah, so basically you can have a, uh, no, I've made a horrible one, about 156. You'd have 156 opportunities to build each muscle versus 52. You wouldn't thought I'd run a business. Um, so you'd have 156 opportunities to like break down a muscle and then repair it and then get it to then like recover and then be able to train it again versus yep. 52. There's no way you can tell me that you wouldn't progress quicker doing that. Now, like that's an extreme example doing it maybe three times a week in a full body split. But if you were to do something like a push-pull leg split or an upper-lower upper split, you could at least do it twice a week, which means you're going to double your opportunities to stimulate an adaptive response and also double your opportunities to build more muscle. And also, you're increasing your body's ability to learn that movement pattern, which is incredibly important because That's big, yeah. Yeah, the better you can get at the movements and you can really get those nailed down, the more you get out of every single set and every single session you do in the gym. Yeah. Uh, the way I explain that to, to anybody I work with is I, I relate it to sport and I say, okay, if you would like to get good at golf, you'd play golf more than once a week. If you like to play tennis and improve, you play more than once a week. So why would you only perform your deadlift variation once a week? You know, I would encourage, especially someone that more just starting out or, or just familiarizing themselves with certain exercises, frequency is your friend get good at stuff and the only way you get good at things is to do them more often practice yeah practice makes perfect or practice makes better yeah as this right so it's what i was about to say so i think that that's a huge one and i think yeah. don't over overthink it more than that and don't try and uh, the other the last thing i'd add in with training splits is not trying to do too much volume because i think again like people trying to say like throw the kitchen sink at it i would probably not do more than 16 to 20 sets of workout yeah, but that but and that sixteen to twenty, I'm Worth sure, it. would be 
across multiple muscles. Yeah, so that, so that would be across, if you're going to do, say for example, that'd be at least three muscle groups, probably more. Yeah, I think sometimes people are surprised, anyone who pays attention to my training. So twice a week, I will pair chest, biceps and triceps and shoulders, deltoids, in one session. And some people say, well, oh, that must be a really long workout. And I say, no, it's less than an hour because I'm not doing huge amounts of sets, but then I'm able to repeat that session two or three days later. So again, it's Ch- chest, delts and arms. Yeah. All in one session. So you're probably what doing like maybe two presses, a fly, two raises and two arm exercises, two bicep, two triceps, something like that. Or sometimes one bicep, one tricep. Yeah, very spot on. You've been watching. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that is what I do. That is how I do it. It's what I deem optimal for me and my needs at the minute. If I was trying to specify a certain body part, then perhaps I would increase the volume for that part and reduce it elsewhere. But that allows me to have essentially three balanced sessions through the week with the other two being a pull session and the final one being a leg session. Do you train weaker body parts at higher frequency then? Yeah, I try to, if I'm not being a little bit lazy, aka calves. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would try and increase the total amount of sets through the week. And that generally will come from increased frequency. Yeah. 100%. To start to finish things up, what are the top things you suggest people make sure they don't do in the gym? If there's anything in particular? don't but it's a do is do control the weight don't let the weight control you honestly nobody is impressed by or i can bench press this or i row that nobody really cares honestly work through a full range of motion use an appropriate rep rep speed and tempo stick to appropriate rep ranges for for given exercises be sensible you know don't be a hero i think something was interesting you mentioned earlier as well in regards to certain exercises lend themselves to certain rep ranges more yeah uh, that's something i believe in strongly actually i believe that certain exercises have an i call it an appropriate rep range so i think leg press just use a couple of examples so i think leg press works best anywhere between 10 and 30 repetitions per set depending on your goals i would never program a 30 rep bench press in the same fashion i would program a six rep bench press and i wouldn't program a six rep leg press a lot of that is down to joints joint integrity and the tempo of of the exercise as well so i work with a lot of older clients and often they've had joint issues i myself have had knee issues and surgery on both knees so for me the idea of a six rep leg press is horrendous yeah yeah, exactly. I just I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But I'd much rather work in that 20 to 30 rep range. Yes, the weight is less, but the stimulus is still really, really high. I get next to no, basically zero joint pain from that. And I'm able to repeat that workout after workout after workout. Whereas if you put me on there, loaded the weight up and said, okay, we need eight reps, my body will really not like it. My joints will hate it. I'm the same with that. Same press. I find that I can get to... Uh anything under 15 reps i have to use more weight than i feel comfortable doing mm-hmm. and it's just you have to use so much load that the risk to reward ratio like the integrity of your joints suddenly can't take it if that makes sense yeah and you you it's very hard to undo that damage once you've done it so you know if you're working with 
I don't really like this expression, but lifestyle clients. You, the idea of, of all of this for, for the majority of people is to be healthier, stronger, fitter, faster, leaner. And none of that involves degrading your joints down. So I'm trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. 100%. I think that's a good note to finish on. The thing you've got to remember is like, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And fitness is one of those things that you're not, you're not doing it just today, like this week, tomorrow. It's something you're going to have to maintain for the rest of your life and something you're blessed to have the opportunity to maintain. So yeah. one of the things that's important is making sure it is sustainable and the training methodology is sustainable in that. So you have a, a body that can actually last. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so we'll wrap that up there. So thank you so much for your time, Johnny. Appreciate it as always. My pleasure. Um, thank you to anyone who's listening. Appreciate it. Make sure you go head over, leave us a five-star review on the podcast. Anyone who's listening, we've got a huge relaunch that's coming out next week and we've got a huge competition as well where you can win uh, £1,500 worth of coaching, £250 worth of Muscle Nation goodies and a £100 voucher from Tough Wrap. So the information for that will be shared shortly and we will see you in the next episode of The Shredder Show.